people are offended by different levels of everything. So something that you might perceive as being extravagant, mm. the next person doesn't think it's extravagant at all. Hello, and welcome back to the third act. I'm Catherine Fairweather. Johnny Roxburgh is a party architect who has worked in the events industry for over 40 years, riding both the hedonistic highs and cruising the doldrums in ever-changing times. He has dreamt up parties around the globe for people as diverse as our own Queen, the rock star Sting, or the former Crown Prince of Jordan, and played a key role in these landmark events. After a short spell as a chartered accountant, he co-founded the legendary party planners Admiral Crichton when there were only a handful of party planners on the scene. In the past decade, he has set up very successfully under his own name. I'm very excited to welcome to Orion's a man essential to every important occasion. We sat down at Culford's restaurant to get into the gossip. It's wonderful to see you here. I think the last time I saw you was about maybe 40 years ago when I was working at the Savoy press office and you were at Admiral Crichton, I think. I was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How long were you there for? 37 years. Oh, my goodness. I started it and, um, and I kept it going really until I sold it um, seven or eight years ago. So it was... Um, Why did you sell it? Well, lots of reasons. I think that economically it was it was difficult. We we lived through all those sort of bird flus and recessions, and you know, never all think, thinks that you're sort of all sailing along and it's all marvelous. Mm. But the truth is that when those things happened, people stop entertaining overnight, mm. and and we had a very big staff. We had sixty people. We had seventeen full time chefs, mm. and they all wanted more and more money, as they always do, and we paid them too well, most of them. Mm. And I used to find the whole business of this modern thing of human resources. Oh, dear God. In my day, if you didn't get on with somebody, you went outside, had a cup of coffee and talked about it and said, you know, I'm finding you jolly tricky. Instead of which, some man or woman would come bleating to you, Mm. I I really don't like Honoria. (laughs) And I thought, you know, I'm not running a kindergarten. And why, why should I have to be here and be a mediator? So you wanted to stream, you wanted to basically reduce the company. The company, yeah. yeah. And, um, get and, of, and get rid of And get rid of the stress. Yes. And get rid of the stress. And has it? Yes, but it's always a, it's a different kind of stress. Mm. It's a different kind of stress. But, but it's, it, it's at least, again, I'm in charge of my own destiny mm. and I'm in charge of how it all works. Um, so let's start at the beginning, Johnny, because you did not train, obviously, as a you, you started life as a chartered accountant. Let's yeah. let's start with your childhood briefly anyway. Tell me about uh, where you were brought up. Brought up in Scotland. My father was a lawyer. My mother died when I was um seven. Mm. My father then married her sister when I was eight. Mm. Quite unusual. Mm. But then my grandparents, brother and sister married. You know, when you live in the north of Scotland, there aren't that many people to marry, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, it's either people or sheep, <laughs> and and then I decided that I was. Uh, my father decided for me. He said, "Toss a coin. What are you going to do?" And I was going out for dinner. I didn't really want to be a chartered accountant or a lawyer. Mm. What I really wanted to do was to do textile design. Right. And you weren't uh, allowed to. He said, "You can do what you like. 
you need to have some kind of a handle. Mm. And so he arranged me to go and work for a man called Sir Tennant Sloan. And I qualified as a chartered accountant. And then I sat around doing not very much for quite a long time, maybe 18 months. Mm. And then one day at lunch on a Sunday, um, my uncle came for lunch and my father said, it's nonsense. You're not doing anything. I'm not paying the bills any longer. Mm. You need to get a job and you're leaving for South Africa next weekend. Goodness. And so I went out to South Africa and I really didn't know very many people. In fact, I knew about three. Mm-hmm. And so they just, they packed me off. It was the best thing they could ever have done for me. I had the most amazing time. It was wonderful. It was right at the early 70s. Um, it was prosperous. It was successful. And there were lots of kindred spirits. And it's a place that the young in those days went to. Mm. You know, the, the pearl fishers went to Hong Kong mm-hmm. before that. And then... Mm. South Africa, and then Australia, and then mm. I don't know where they go now. And and it was fantastic. And I worked for Tushras, they were called something different out there, and had a wildly social time. I was out every single night. I didn't have some frightful alcohol poisoning, I don't know. And, and then I came back to London, and I went and saw a very old friend who was the boss of GEC. Mm. And I sat in his house, and I said, I don't want to do law, I don't want to do accounts. He said, you always give amazing parties. Why don't you start doing that? And then I met, I knew my business partner's sister because you know we lived in Inverlesha mm. and they lived 30 miles mm. away from us. But I didn't know the younger sister, mm-hmm. uh, Rolling. And, so and you she, started at the kitchen table, basically, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, we, yeah. we literally, we were working in this tiny little yeah. uh, coach house. It was yeah. 40 feet long, 10 feet wide. Mm. Uh, but what was unique about us was that we had no training. That was our saving grace, because having no training meant that when anybody asked us to do something, you we said, said yes, yes, of course, yes. of course. Could you possibly float a tent in the south of France, in the Mediterranean, on the sea, yes, for dinner course. for 400? I am absolutely certain we could do it, and we did. So it's your motto, your motto in business and your motto in life is to say yes. To say yes and, and never regret what you do, only regret what you That sounds awfully trite. Mm. But I think that's true. You should mm. never regret what you do. You may do it and it goes wrong, but if you don't do something, I think that's a missed opportunity. Mm. Um, so, were there, so there were a few of you. Lady Elizabeth Anson was your friend and mentor, was she? Friend, friend and mentor. And, and I worked with, initially, we would do the catering. And then she realised that I had, I'm blessed with having a video in my head. Mm. And that's a gift from God. It's not. It's not. So you see three me. things in three D, basically. Yeah, and I can close my eyes and I can put me in this room and transform it. And in my head, I can see exactly how it's going to look. And and it's usually how it does look. And um, is that how do you when somebody asks you to to create an event for them? How do you? What's the starting point? Is it a conversation with the client, or is it? Oh, of course, a conversation yeah. with the client. Mm. Um, and then going to see where they want to have the event mm. and trying to get into their head mm. to see what they want. Sometimes you get into the head and find there's a great big empty space and they haven't a clue. Yeah. And then my job is to actually build something which they can visualise. And I do that either by writing. Mm. And I, I write concepts which are peppered with often language that evokes food and hunger. Mm. One of them, people always laugh, but uh, I'm, when I'm talking about the colour of a seat pad, I say, now, if you take a jar of Gail's honey mm. and you open the top, mm. 
it's going to be now everybody knows that beautiful slightly bleached beige color of the top of a jar of honey mm. i'm to gales mm. um or if you're walking around the garden on a winter's morning and you look at the mint plants and that frosted mint color you know and everyone knows but the great thing is that gales honey and mint and also makes you feel hungry yes very and evocative yeah and it's the same way of um taking smells mm. And we used to take napkins and Joe Malone, who is a, an mm. old mate, mm. and I, right from the word go, I worked with her. And I used to stand outside of Walton Street offering mince pies to people as the queue went round the block for her little shop. Um, but she had a thing called aqua de limone. And if you spray aqua de limone, it smells like a gin and tonic. Mm. And if you put that on a napkin, mm. when you put it to your mouth, mm. it makes the inside of your tummy go mm. yeah. and makes you hungry. So do you spray your napkins for the for your parties? All of them. Yeah. All of them. Yeah, and and we do it and we do it twice because we give them a different napkin for pudding. <sighs> God, God is in the detail, isn't it for you? I think that I think life is in the detail. I just you know we were, we were famous for having lovely, charming staff, mm. but we took the lovely, charming staff and then we buffed them. Mm. And I used to say you can't work for me unless your hair's been washed three hours before you come on mm. on duty mm. i would line them up but i'm looking at my own nails just now which are not so good but i would line them up and say let me see your nails we had somebody there that would polish their shoes we, we couldn't have any face furniture they couldn't have any you know, beards and whatever or piercings or mm. that sort of thing they couldn't wear deodorant all with a great smell of brute you know that's so important yes yeah. there's nothing worse than a waiter putting his arm absolutely. out and you go, oh, oh my, my God, God. Oh my God, God. I think God. that's absolutely key, actually. Yeah. And so you've organised parties for the royals, every royal around the world, it seems global, from from Buckingham Palace to Holyrood, and you did Prince William's 21st. Oh, yeah, please don't let's talk about that. Was it just, <laughs> <laughs> whenever I do anything, everyone talks about William's 21st. But it was it's a long it time was, ago. It was a long, long time ago. But I have done, I have done all kinds of foreign royalty and UK royalty and... I've married them, I've baptised them, buried some of them. What kind of event is the most fun? Is it a 21st or an 80th or have you ever done a funeral? Oh, God, yes, lots. Mm. Lots. Which, that's, which, which, that's, that's rather sort of marvellous that when you when you do a funeral, people, there's a very curious thing about, and I shouldn't, this is, for, this is going out to people who are my age, mm. but the curious thing about a funeral is that it makes you want to um, eat mm. and it makes you want to have sex. Absolutely. And you say, thank God it wasn't me and I'm still alive. Yeah. And people always eat enormous amounts of food at funerals. I didn't know that. Always, always. And and um, drink a lot? Well, they drink quite a lot, it mm. depends. You know, if, you, mm. if you get a good Irish mm. wake mm. Um, or a Scottish wake, they, mm. they drink a lot. Do you think that, I'll come back to the fact, that I'd love to know if you've actually organised your own funeral in your head. It's a bit of a morbid question, but of course I, I, certainly, I certainly have. You have. Where are you going to be? <laughs> I'm going to be scattered in in Greece or in Italy, which are my two favourite countries. Right. I'm going to get I'm going to die in one of those countries. But I, I've got <laughs> how, a little how file. Going, how are you going to organise that? <laughs> I will. I'll have a house there eventually, and I've I've got a, a little folder of what, what I'm going to have read at my wake and poetry and readings. They may change as the time goes on. I pray God it won't be for quite, <laughs> quite a long time. 
I'm fascinated that you've got that all sort of worked out for Greece or Italy. Mm. I don't yeah. really want to grow old in England. I don't think um, growing old in England is the best place. I don't think we know how to how to deal with our ageing population and we, don't, we haven't really come to terms with the idea of dying and death. This pandemic has just proven that. What do you think? Well, I, I, I'm certainly not scared of it. No. I'm, not, I'm not remotely scared of it. I don't particularly want to have one of those... You know when they say in the obituary, after a long illness, mm. bravely born, that will not mm. be me. Mm. I'll be saying, get out the Novocaine, and I would actually rather like the big red bus option. And I was talking to somebody who, was only yesterday, who had um, gone to Dignitas in, in um, really? Switzerland. With father, I think it was. Mm-hmm who had some, one of those just terrible diseases that, mm. you know, you know that there's no betterment, that you mm. just... I think that's a very brave thing to do. But Giles and I are going to be buried. We, we live in a lovely village in Norfolk, and we've already bought the plots, or we haven't bought them, but we've reserved them. Wonderful. Uh, side by side. And I'm you know, going to have the whole of the inside of my grave lined with lavender. And, um, <laughs> How wonderful. And, and, and probably be buried with my teddy bear. What what poetry will you have read at your funeral? Or... I, haven't, I haven't done that yet. Mm-hmm. Um, music? Music, I um, I need the National Anthem played mm-hmm. and I need Heart the Herald Angels sing. Mm-hmm. I want God to know that I'm coming and he'll recognise that. When we got married, mm. we had a civil ceremony. We were not allowed to have any kind of religious things at all. Mm. And we got married at Blickling. How long the, ago? Ten, oh, 12 years ago now. So in your 60s? Yeah. Giles asked me to marry him on my 60th birthday in Venice at the Cipriani. And we met on a blind date in Marrakesh 20 years before, 20 years ago. Ignored each other on that blind date 20 years before. How do you know that? (laughs) I'm guessing. No, not really. We, We were set up. It was a 40th birthday. Most of our friends are not gay. Most of our friends are straight. And not that that matters a damn. And we were asked to go to this 40th birthday... And on the first day, mm. I arrived for lunch and Giles came up to me and said, and they had tried to sort of set us up before, but nothing ever happened. He said, did you have a pleasant journey? I thought, oh my God, what on earth is all this about? And that night, we sat opposite one another for dinner and there were, I don't know, 40 of us, 50? And I looked into his eyes that night and I thought, I am going to be buried beside you. On the Sunday, I had to go back to Nice and I was getting into the taxi and Giles said to me, sorry, why, why are you going? And I'm staying here for two more days. So give me five minutes. Mm-hmm. He rushed upstairs and he grabbed his bags, paid the bill, came down, got into the car and we flew back to Nice. And the following week, we went to New York to do a site meeting in the Hamptons. And as we were flying along, I gave Giles, I went to Garrard's and I bought all kinds of goodies, but also silly things and put them in a Garrard's bag. And, and as I left, I lived in Clapham in those days, and as I left the house in the morning, the details of the house in which we now live came through the door quite randomly. And as we were sitting having a drink at 30-odd thousand feet, Giles went through all this bag and he said to me, and we didn't really know one another, and he said, what's this? And I handed him the, the, the detail to him and I said, if I were to buy that, would you ever think of coming and living with me in it? And he looked me in the eyes and said, for the rest of my life. 
And we came back and we saw the house on Monday and we put the offer in on the Tuesday and I put my flat in Clapham on the market and it sold in 24 hours for the price of a small house. And it was all meant to be. How extraordinary. So again, you're going completely with your gut. You're an instinctive person. You don't... Sorry, Hang is around. It, is this all boring stuff? Or are you no, it? it's, it's not boring stuff. It's mm. absolutely fascinating. So you curated your own wedding and you organised your own That wedding. was amazing. That was really amazing. We Why? Were, well, we, we, had, we didn't tell a soul. Mm. He asked me to marry him in Venice on, uh, on my birthday in May. And he said, we, you, you love Christmas, let's get married in December. So we built this party that we were having as my 60th birthday. And we had this little tiny 16-foot square Palladian folly at Blickling Hall, which is a wonderful, wonderful place in Norfolk. My mother-in-law was convinced that we had to tell them we were doing it, and that we were going to be a King's Lynn Registry Office, which was so not going to happen. And we filled it with Scottish trees and Norwegian trees, and we underplanted it with hellebores, and we had a very lovely Louis Caz um, console table, a charming registrar, candles, we couldn't be anything that was remotely religious. So we read very lovely poems to one another. We had a proper order of service, A4. We cried a lot. We had very lovely music. And and then at the end of it, um, we left to heart the Herald Angels sing because the ring was on our fingers. And I always said I would never get married. So they were. So if you're not married and thinking of it, I can highly recommend it. So obviously the element of surprise is quite an important ingredient in a successful party, would you say? I hate the idea of a surprise party, by the way. Oh, I think they're dangerous. Yes, I think so. I think they're dangerous. Mm. But there has to be an element of surprise somewhere. Oh, I think there needs to be be a surprise in a party. Yeah. Um, I was talking about somebody who lives in a block of flats close to here for for their big party. We had only 600 people. And um, he, he works all over the world in, in finance. And um, each part of the tent was a different country. Mm. But we had, at the far end of the marquee, we had this cuckoo clock and for Switzerland, where he does lots of his stuff. And the cuckoo clock, suddenly the doors flew open and we had one of my staff dressed up in lederhosen. And he said to me, after I'd done it, he said, you realise I should never be able to have children. Um, and we shot him down the tent and he had bottles of um, vodka pouring shots from this thing as they can. And people loved it. And, and, and underneath it, there was a, a pool of water. And um, I've done this once or twice. And it was all filled with rose petals. And everyone went outside to look at the fireworks, which were pretty amazing. And while they were out, the entire dance floor of the entire pool drained and became a dance floor with a sunken bar around it. And when they came back in eight minutes later, c'est fait. But it was, um, I, that was very nerve wracking because you can't just put a plug no. and let the water out. You have to have tanks underneath the tent that the water runs into or else the water would just wash the tent away. I mean, this creativity of yours is quite extraordinary and it's a sort of Cinderella creativity because it all vanishes in the morning. You create that's the marvelous thing. Extraordinary. So is that's it? Mar- is it? Mar- mar- you mar- like that's that? That's the marvelous thing. Because you know, even when it's sad, or you want no. to keep hold on to these extraordinary. You see, see the photographs, and, mm. and you've created memories yes. which, for six hundred people, yeah. they will never forget. Yeah. Would you give a party like that now, given the two years we've had? 
that that sort of sense of excess and hedonism would would that chime now? Do you think you'd still yes, give it that absolutely. similar? Party? Absolutely. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. You only you come around this block once, mm. and I think that you have to take life and shake it by the scruff of the neck. Mm. And I think if anything, this pandemic shows you that life is terribly short mm. and there's absolutely no point in being namby-pamby and skirting around the thing that you might offend somebody mm. because people are offended by different levels of everything so mm. something that you might perceive as being extravagant mm. the next person doesn't think it's extravagant at all yes and i know you have to enjoy life and you need to wake up every morning because you might be at Battersea bridge last week some poor girl a lorry was turning left and she was on a bicycle. I don't know how it happened. But anyway, she was underneath the lorry. I don't think she died, but I think she was probably crushed. She woke up in the morning and she had her cornflakes and a cup of coffee and didn't imagine that was going to happen. Mm. How awful to have not lived your life yeah. with the choke out. Absolutely. And then you get banged. Yeah. So carpe diem, absolutely. I completely agree. And I suppose you, what your, your career is in one arena of life where you are not constrained by... Workness. You can do what you like. Your clients can do what they like. It's their money, isn't it? So um, you don't yes. have to go around tiptoeing around people's um, sensitivities. I, um, the BBC made a programme about me, which was they filmed me solidly for four months. Every day there was a television crew who, strangely, were Irish, like the lovely man that owns this place. Yeah. And I took them all over the world. I took them to Russia. I took them to the south of France. I took them to, oh, I can't remember. But I do remember taking them to Scotland. And I'm a Scot, so I can say what I like about being Scottish. And we were in Edinburgh. And we were doing the opening of the Scottish Museum. And first of all, this man came up to me and said, I think it's shocking that they brought somebody from London to do the opening of this party. And I looked him firmly in the eye and I said, "And I think it's shocking that they had to. And then somebody else said, this is all such a waste of money doing this. And I said to him, try telling that to the man who's putting the lights up in this museum to make the place look wonderful, to encourage people to spend money in it. And he is feeding his wife and children and he's paying his mortgage as a result of us doing this party and somebody paying the bill. Try and tell him that his life's a waste of money. Quite. And did, he, did he have a response? No, of course, there is no response. But because what we do is, is that wonderful line that, you know, money's like manure, it's no good unless you spread it all around. Mm. And, and what we do is we, we get people to spend lots of money making something that gives pleasure to the people that are looking at it or enjoying it and employment to the people, you know, I'm looking at these flowers here on the table. Somebody grew those. Mm. Somebody cut them. Somebody took them to the market here in London. Mm. Somebody went and picked them up in a van and paid for the petrol, and then somebody arranged them, and somebody paid them mm. to arrange it. And mm. all those people have made money. If that thing of flowers wasn't there, none of that income stream would be in the economy. But have you got any personal taboos where you won't go down that avenue if they want you to do something really that you consider absolutely vulgar? Is it your job to tell them it's vulgar? Well, I mean, yes, I mean, there are some things I wouldn't do, like, you know, I wouldn't have a dead animal lying on a t 
table and you know, with its guts hanging out or anything like that. A Damon Hurst? No. <laughs> no. No. I never really get that. I said to mm. a the other day, one of those things, the butterflies, I said, you must be so cross. No. How much do I know? But all the wings are falling off this thing. And he said, that's how it's meant to look, Johnny. I said, really? Mm. Mm. Emperor's new clothes. Um, and do you have any totems? In other words, are there, are there props that you will always reuse? I think I've read that you need a small, confined small space. space. Yeah. Gemutlich is the word. Gemutlich, yeah, I yeah, love that it, word. Um, I like it too, and, it, and it, it sums up, if you have, if it's too cold, too much room, mm-hmm. no atmosphere. And Echoey of, chamber, no. Yeah, and of course the, the, the thing that is often difficult is that um, there are some people who have made a fortune, mm. and in making their fortune they've forgotten to make friends. Yes. That happens a lot. Yes. And so you have people who have acquired enormous amounts of wealth but they haven't done the things that you and I do which is to make personal connections as you go along mm. and and the, the trick of entertaining is going around and introducing people and making sure that they that they have a great time that yeah. your party is not the time for you mm. to have a good time mm. your party is the time to make sure that everybody else has a good time and and as a party architect I guess you are also a shrink a handholder, oh, yes. a nanny, brides, a confidant, and you get very close to them. And you see the best of people and the worst of people, probably. You sp- and you talk often to people, you know, we had a, a bridegroom and bride who have become great friends, and they're part of a huge family that I do all their events. I met them every Wednesday, every Wednesday morning for nearly three months before the wedding. Mm. And in a talking it through and they're, they're great friends and they, but you must also see people who are stressed and tense because they want this event to go without a hitch absolutely on the edge you know of their nerves behaving terribly badly as well I suppose well, not, not, really. not often not often I think not that's often. because you're a very positive person yeah. <laughs> no, we, no, we don't often get that um, so Johnny what about um, ageing well here we are at this wonderful place for which is later life residencies um What's your secret? You look very young. What's your secret to... Um... <laughs> That's, uh, I don't look very young, but I do, thanks to... I was sent a whole box full of, of um, stuff for my face for Christmas. What is uh, it? Can I know? Uh, oh, I don't know what they... I mean, the, the chap that runs a catering company called Last Supper, he's in his mm. 40s, he always looks... skin's great. And I said to him, how is it you look so fancy? He said, well, I'll send you the, the thing. Mm. I mean, there are more scrubs and potions and lotions and a whole regime of how you're meant to do it. And so I started doing it just after Christmas. And my skin definitely looks better than it looked. Yeah, it's very um, good. And I think that working is the trick. Mm. I think a lot of people retire, especially men who are defined by their jobs, mm. and men are often defined by their jobs, they retire at 60 or 65. And what do you do, particularly now? I mean, we're all living to be 100 Hmm. Uh, which is rather an alarming concept. But you, <laughs> what do you do for the next forty years? You know, I have never not worked in my life. I've never not got up in the morning and thought I have a million things to do, and that's what gives me energy. And I think being surrounded by young people helps. Yes. Um, but I think that continuing to work and keeping your brain active, mm. and having a certain level of stress. Mm. which makes you, you're not sitting, I don't sit down in the afternoon and read a book, mm. but I've got too many things to do. You're not or, sitting too comfortably. Basically. No. Mm. 
But you have to have time to have relax a, a breather. And I think that's the kind of thing that you need to do. But I think that exercise, mm. eating well, which I do do, but I eat too much, but I'm not trying not to. What's on your bucket list? I know you're a huge, you're, you're a gypsy designer, as you've been called. You love traveling. You get your ideas from travel. This must have been a very frustrating time for you, not being able to difficult, travel. Difficult, mm. We're off again this month. Where um, to? So you're, you're traveling again. That's mm. great. Going to, I'm working in Florence. And then we're going to, the, you say where you want to die. I've always had a fantasy about dying in Venice. I, can't, I kind of want to be pushed through the streets of Venice in a bed with amazing linen. I love linen, love linen sheets, and gasping my last in the Santa Maria della Salute. And mm. Then I think there'll be some awful lot of tourists with a camera saying, oh, look, he's dying, isn't that fun? Um, <laughs> so I don't really want to have that. I'm so glad you're back on the move again. Hmm. And and this this imagined fantasy end game in, in Venice... Last Supper, what would it be? Oh, easy. Caviar. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Lots of it. Lots of caviar. Then I would have steak tartare, which I had last night, but steak tartare with decent fries and a green salad. And then um, probably Scottish raspberries and some delicious kind of creme fraiche confection and good vodka, decent chablis. And I know I shouldn't have Chablis with, with, with state tartare, but Doesn't I love matter. Chablis. Well, um, on that note, Johnny, I'm going to raise my glass to you. And here's to the next 10 years. Mm. Thank you very much. And thank you for making this interview so fun. If you've enjoyed today's show, you can hear more episodes in the series by clicking follow wherever you're listening to this or simply searching The Third Act on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and YouTube. And if you think your friends would love to listen, please do tell them about the series. This episode was produced by Pete Norton and made possible by Orion's, luxurious residences that are redefining later living in the heart of Chelsea. I'm Catherine Fairweather, and I'll see you back next week for another episode of The Third Act. Mm-hmm.